0: Hey, you're listening to The Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and so want to make Him the centre of our lives, our community, and our world. We're going to learn how to do that right now as we sit down and unpack Sunday's sermon. All right. Well,
1: here we are. Second time in uh, one yeah. week. Come on. Got to catch up, man. This <laughs> is a, oh,
0: a double portion of banter.
1: I love it. <laughs> what a, what a week! It's like a Disney Plus show. You know,
0: you do you release two episodes to get people enticed yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come oh, on, yeah. you wet their appetite yeah, for and more. And they got to wait late like, next week. So Come on. love a little banter binge. Yeah. Well, Mitch, I, I haven't had a coffee this morning, but I'm I'm just living off adrenaline. How are you doing this
1: morning? Oh, man, really good. I. Uh, have been running the movement class the last week and a bit. Yeah, because Mary's been unwell. Yeah, and so had a great session today. Made those poor old ladies sweat and oh. hurt, but <laughs> good. No, no, I really enjoyed it because we did lots of functional movement, which yes. is my favourite sort of exercise. So it's a single legged, oh, workout.
0: Single legged workout. So
1: single, le- yeah. So single legged. Man, if you, it's like gold. So doing like suitcase. So you Mm. put a weight next to you and you bend down, Mm. you're forcing the side of your body which hasn't got the weight to overcompensate, Mm. so it's strengthening those particular small muscles muscles around your spine, Mm. doing Romanian deadlifts, so that's where you just bend over one leg Mm. and yeah, it's making those poor ladies
0: do so much one-legged stuff that, you know,
1: by the end they... Okay, that's
0: good. So this is because um, I know you've spoken before about farmer carries. Yeah. Am I learning things here? You are, are learning things. So that's pharma. like an uneven yeah, weight can so. have benefits. Yes,
1: very much so. So farmer's carries where you carry a weight that if two hands. Yeah. Suitcase
0: carry is one handed. Sure. But so. the idea is it's it's not sort of this even weight throughout your whole body like a bench press would be. No. So then your body is working in unique ways yes. to engage so, muscles yeah. that you wouldn't usually. Yeah, so that's yeah. how.
1: So you've got like QL muscles, like near your spine. They're very small muscles. Mm. And if they're strong, that mm. will prevent a lot of back pain. So mm. a lot of our... And, ticker, and having strong glutes as well. Mm. So that type of the farmers' carries, the uneven weights help really... Activate those muscles around your spine and, like, on your in your side of your abdominals. Mm. If you strengthen those up, basically, you make yourself like a, not bulletproof, but you know, you're certainly going to have a better quality of life. Gun proof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pellet gunproof. Pellet uh, Yeah, that's all I'm big about is yes. having good quality of life. Yeah. So, so fun. it's fun. So actually. I'm starting to learn how the, the old ladies think I have to shift my gear from a 35-year-old mm. that's quite fit to a, how, how would a 70-year-old <laughs> respond to this? So yeah, yeah, it's been fun.
0: I feel like it's tricky as well with like group things because there's, would even within a certain demographic be quite varied sort of levels yeah. of strength and different mm. things. So it's, it's, it's a whole other that art that form, is, isn't it? It is. It's the
1: challenge actually that i found is that I can see people not doing things right and you're trying to correct but mm. like, that's what's good about the one-on-one mm. if you can correct someone mm. that, yeah so good so good so yeah I mean Mary for the next three weeks love so. it anyway. <laughs> they're, they're like cause they're like wow you do a lot of things around here I was like yeah do you gotta you know, when you're past pastor here at the center yeah you're yeah, all things yeah you're like a hat rack Yeah, <laughs> many <like> hats. <laughs> hats many
0: hats <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Love it. Well, look, we're um, kind of going to do something a bit different today, guys, mm. because we uh, obviously are catching up on a few um, banters. We were looking at um, what we've been doing with the sermons over the last couple of weeks, and we kind of figured that uh, Mitch's Jeremiah 32 sermon, which was called... not. Let me let me get the name of it correctly first. What what it's actually called? We can edit this later. Purchasing the land. Purchasing the land. I think it might be called something differently different online, but that's okay. We'll get there. I tried to give it a really clever name online. Yeah, a symbol of hope. Symbol of hope. There you go. (laughs) A symbol of hope. Um, And then obviously a theology of gardening is what I tried to (laughs) cleverly name mine. But I think that they're both this both a symbol of hope. This idea of Jeremiah's prophetic sign act, where he buys um, his cousin's land. Mm. essentially on the eve of the Babylonian exile. Um, and then this idea both um, a bit earlier in Jeremiah that they're in Jeremiah 29, but chronologically sort of, w- yes. where, do we, where do we think it's fitting? Yeah, around the same around time? Around the same time. Around the same time? Yeah, look,
1: actually... Wait. Let's whip out scripture and yeah. um, see.
0: But he writes this. I'll, I'll let while you're looking it yeah, up. Yep. Just explain. So the Jeremiah 29 obviously is a letter written to those in exile in Babylon, and Jeremiah is telling them that while you're there, plant gardens, have children, marry them off. Do not decrease, increase. Um, there's these sort of dual, interesting messages of both investing in the land that was that they've been exiled from, and investing in the land that they are exiled mm. to. It's kind of quite a beautiful, in some ways, yeah. two-handed image of investing in both places um, and what those two things look like. Have you managed to find um, the date?
1: So in Jer- it says here that Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem to people after they'd been exiled, um, after King Jehoiachin was exiled. So that's 597 BC. So I actually am suspecting he wrote this some 10 years before he bought the land okay. because it happened just after Jehoiachin was exiled. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That was 10 years before yeah, Zedekiah yeah, yeah. was yeah, yeah, exiled. Yeah. So yeah, this is a problem with Jeremiah. It's a cr- <laughs> oh, geez, you can't all just all go, what shop. chapter is it? Even? Yeah. It's all over the shop. <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. so I'd say there's about, about a 10 year time frame yeah. roughly between this letter to the exiles and purchasing.
0: Yeah. So we were yeah. kind of talking about this idea of land um, before we started recording. Um, land is obviously something which still has value today. You don't have to ask a Sydney-sider. Um, it is obviously an idea that we can connect to in some ways. Mm. Um, so there are similarities there of land having value mm. and the idea of being able to secure land, having some sort of security and, you know, um, obviously even financial prosperity that you're paying your own mortgage and not someone else's uh, in rent. So there are similarities there. What are the differences between land for an urban sort of or suburban Mm -hmm. (laughs) sort of Sydney liver and somebody who is living in Jerusalem or Mm. Babylon in the sort of early 500s? Yeah, great question. So you have to actually
1: go back to Genesis. Mm. Land has always been tied in with God's promises, God's people. And so the first piece of land for it was Garden Eden. Mm. Adam and Eve lived in this garden. And so scripture riffs off that theme repeatedly. And so when Abraham is given the promise that he will have many descendants and the land and all that, it's like a new Eden. Mm. And so for the Israelites, um, Canaan or Israel, the, the the makeup of the land was your slice of heaven, mm. essentially. Mm-hmm. Um Probably no one's read it, or if they have, they skip through it. Joshua, mm. when it, the tribal allotments, mm. it's dry and boring. I was thinking but of getting that, it
0: tattooed on me. Yeah, yeah,
1: you know, <laughs> inspiring Bible passage. Yeah, you know.
0: <laughs> 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 but
1: I guess like a will, yeah. Which again, it's not something you read for fun, but a will is important because it divvies out which child gets what and what inheritance, and that's quite important. And so that back part of Joshua, the tribal allotments, that was your slice. Mm of Yahweh's promise to Abraham. And so that's why the Bible talks a lot about not moving boundary stones because you're taking family land. Mm -hmm. And that was the difference between the Israelites and the other Canaanite nations was Mm -hmm. it wasn't the king who owned the land. And it's interesting that as Scripture progresses from Joshua where each family clan has their land and it stays within the family Mm -hmm. to becoming more and more Canaanite where they get a king a king starts taking land mm. and repossessing, is that the people start losing their tribal land. Mm. So, But in Jeremiah's day, answer that question. That, yeah, for them, that was why there was that underlying sense that well, God will never allow Jerusalem to be destroyed completely. Okay, you know, Jehoiachin's been taken, people been taken, and that's why he had like the false prophet, like Hadonai saying, oh, it's only going to be two years because mm. there was this belief that, well, God's never going to breach that promise with Abraham. Like we, we showed it at that time when Isaiah was there when Hezekiah was king hundred years ago he wiped out the Assyrians from destroying them um, it's not going to happen now because yeah that was that was tied in with them their identity as a people was temple yeah. and land but and so for us as Sydney Siders to answer that second part of the question <coughs> yeah we yeah because land's not really a big part of the New Testament we kind of don't mm. think. In that language, yeah, Um, it's a good point. It's not something that comes up a lot, yeah. Yeah, and so for us, it's a little bit abstract to kind of talk about. But I see like the New Jerusalem coming out, and that is essentially like Eden restored. Mm. And so I don't know how that will look. Mm. How like it will be a tribal allotments like in the time of the Old Testament, but certainly for us, we do inherit the new Eden that Jesus talks about. Yeah, in my father's house, there are many rooms. There's, there's a sense here of like we're given something, yeah, uh, a place to live in. Yeah, it's not just floating around in the clouds playing harps. There's a yeah. tangible physicality to our resurrection home. Well, we're eating a meal. Yeah, the messianic banquet.
0: So yeah, yeah, and I think that there is something on top of sort of a modern world uh, that we live in, being where the majority of us. Um, aren't sort of ancestrally linked to this land Uh Um, and that's something which is quite hard I know for me to connect to Uh, I think we've spoken about this before that, you know, people always say when you go back to Ireland or you go back to Scotland Mm. or wherever you might be from, there's this deep sense. And who knows? It could be psychosomatic, (laughs) but a lot of people attest to this deep spiritual Mm. connection, this feeling that my ancestors have lived here and came from, you know, this place. And this deep connection, I think, is, yeah, so much more beyond just our moment, so much more beyond just our promise, but the promise of our ancestors and Mm. the promise of. Of our future descendants, and I think that that's something which is really difficult for us to fully comprehend in an age where, yeah, sure, maybe in a will, someone's house will like yep. go, but really, most of the time, you sell the land. Yeah, like yeah. that's that's kind There's of the thing. No. It's really. It's a much more uh, sort of mobile way of living where people won't stay in one suburb their whole life and definitely land isn't viewed in the same way. I guess maybe I think of uh, some of my friends I went to high school with whose families own farms Mm. and this idea where this is not just a place that we work and where we make our livelihood, but it's a place that my father owned, it's a place that my grandfather owned, and that idea of inheritance is probably more closely how sort of these Israelites would have been viewing land, which is really fascinating. Yeah, because
1: on my mum's side, there's farmland that her cousins, it's been like 100 plus years. Yeah. The family's been on that land. And the problem is, is like the next generation not necessarily wanting to do that. Yeah, for sure. Which could be heartbreaking
0: (laughs) and have a lot of guilt and all of that in it. So yeah, that connection to land, I think, is really, really important. So then with all of this, um, this action that Jeremiah makes to buy land mm-hmm. um, on the eve of the Babylonian exile—it's obviously a you know act of faith—and you sort of spoke about it's a symbol of hope. Yeah. Um, in all of this, did you want to quickly explain he buys it off his cousin? Yeah, that's a weird thing to do. It is very weird, <laughs>
1: but not that weird for an Israelite. Yeah. So In Leviticus chapter twenty-five, um, look, I actually just read it. That's probably easier than explaining it. (coughs) Because as I said earlier, land wasn't, it was your slice of Yahweh's promise to Abraham. So what would happen occasionally is that um, a relative, for whatever reason, um, might through sickness or death or something like that, hardship, have debts to pay off. So they would sell the land to a relative yeah in order to be able to pay off that debt but then they would receive that land back that was the point of the jubilee was that debts would be wiped out so every seven years it's the most phenomenal economic system out there Mm. is that didn't matter if it was the sixth year of the cycle or the first year if you you know you'd sell yourself as a slave which is different to our what we think of like like african slaves it was basically like servanthood yeah to pay off your debts, and then after that, it would be wiped away. Yeah. But then every 50th year, land would be returned. So in Leviticus 25, it says here, the land must never be sold on a permanent basis, for the land belongs to me. You are only foreigners and tenant farmers working for me. It's an really interesting mm. analogy there, like God saying, hey, like, even though I've given this to you, ultimately I own this. So I can't yeah. be bought and sold. You can't profit from this, you mm. With each purchase of the land, you must grant the seller the right to buy it back. If one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and is forced to sell some family land, then a close relative should buy it back for him. If there's no cr- close relative to buy the land, the person sold it gets the money to buy it back. They have the right to redeem it from the one who bought it. And so it kind of goes on a bit and talks about the jubilee and all that. So the idea here is um, uh, Jeremiah's cousin, uh, what's his name again? I've just had a mind blank. Let's just pull that up. Um, yeah, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> Hanamel, for whatever reason, either he's fallen into debt or perhaps just freaking out because the Babylonians are coming. And sure. Like,
0: we don't actually know. But yeah, but what's my land worth if it's yeah. going to be stolen tomorrow? Yeah, and actually.
1: we don't actually know even if it was expensive. Like We don't really know. He bought buys it for 17 shekels and there was no coin, so it's like a weight. So he would have put it like on a scale. Mm. And mm. so but for whatever reason, so the duty of Jeremiah is as the closest relative is to buy this land. And the idea being that Jeremiah now possesses it with the intention that one day it will return back to his cousin, mm. Hannibal's descendants. Mm. And so this is a really interesting purchase sign act. Jeremiah's done a couple, mm. bought the linen belt, put that on, buried it, mm. made it ruined. Bought the pot, smashed it. Mm. Here, he buys something essentially useless. Like mm. this is the eve of exile with the knowledge that it will become useful. Mm. And so, yeah, powerful, powerful sign act. And mm. even Jeremiah, he... I wouldn't say questions Yahweh's wisdom, but even he's like, um, like, uh, yeah, it, it, I read out, it was in this beautiful prayer he does. He says, like, O oh, sovereign Lord kind of a way of kind okay like i i, I recognizing god's sovereignty of it sort of having this kind of question mark of well, what are you doing like because he says here and yet oh sovereign let's see the end of the prayer verse 25 and yet O sovereign lord you've told me to buy the field paying good money for it and these witnesses even though the city will soon be handed over to the Babylonians, like it's a kind of implied question of like, mm. like what's happening here and then god's response is yeah no is anything too hard for me yeah the city's going to be destroyed essentially mm. but don't worry going to be restored one day and that's essentially Mm. the message behind it Mm. is you don't look to the here and now look to the future and so Mm. this piece of farmland that jeremiah purchases becomes a sign of hope that one day life will return to israel and it's one of the things i'm quite struck by and even in the new testament just how much a lot of jesus miracles revolve around Healing person, like in wholeness. So mm. part of my reading for yesterday was the woman that was had the bleed. She gets mm. touched and it's like, hey, you know, you, you, you know, you're well. You, you, your faith has, you know, healed you. Mm. Then Jesus raises um, Jairus's daughter back to life. Today my reading was Jesus uh, with the, the f- first time in Luke where he meets the Peter and James mm. and John and the fish. Mm. I was struck by how much Jesus' miracles revolve around really earthly sort of abundance, mm. food, wholeness for people and mm. That's like what the New Testament and the Old Testament, we see salvation is grounded in creation. Mm. There's God has this sense of people wanting to feast to mm. enjoy life. Mm. And so, this piece of land, it, it ties in with what scripture has been showing from all the way in the garden mm. a fruitful, abun- abundant place. So, mm. yeah, and I th- like it's a great symbol of hope because all of us will face times where we really struggle with. Yeah, I think, you know, some sort of sickness, death, hardship. And depending on how you're wired, you can make you really question God. And look, mm. I think, yeah, and, I don't know, I I am firmly believe that every Christian at some point, you will struggle. And that's yeah. kind of why I think if you have a deep relationship, there will be points yeah. where you're really, really like flat spiritually. And that's why these symbols are really important to like fall back on because you have to have deep roots yeah. that they give you something to cling to, even when you feel like God's not present. Because mm. there will be times where it just feels like Bible reading is just like, Ugh, this is like not, I'm not learning anything. I mm. just feel like I'm pointless to be praying. There's, And so for me, just having these little symbols, something yeah. tangible to cling yeah. on to, which yeah. is, I suppose, why the early, the early churches had stained glass windows with mm. images of Jesus. So mm. like something to reflect upon and mm. meditate on for mm. a-
0: Yeah, it's massive. Mm. I loved what you said about um, Jeremiah's purchase of the land really was for his cousin's descendants. Mm. Um, I think that kind of speaks into, you know, this theme that we were looking at in Jeremiah 29 Mm. about how... I love that quote that you used. Oh, yeah, thank Um, you. It's this idea that, like, it's it's not about us, it's about our future descendants Mm. and not even sometimes our own children because I think that there can be a bit of a, let's be real, like selfish interest and maybe a bit less of a selfless um, interest in investing in our children's mm. future, but to mm. sort of open our blinkers up to a wider sense of community in who we're investing in. Yeah. Um, even to, I mean, look, I don't know how close Jeremiah was to his cousin and then how close he was to his cousin's kids. Um, but yeah, this is sort of this idea that's probably mm. not going to benefit him directly. It's this idea of investing in something yeah. greater than himself and in yeah. ancestry greater than himself. Um, I find that really, really interesting because I think that ultimately that is a huge strength of Christian community that we can still see today in making actions and intentional faith um, that is not just investing in our own sort of Mm. blood and flesh lineage, but in our friends' children, in the kids who are, you know, sort of even for people who are older in the church, sort of our grandkids' age or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, I think that's a really powerful thing to be thinking about how as we come together as a community even now what actions are we taking not just to build ourselves up Mm. not just to build our peers up but to build up that next generation and having i think we can fall into the trap of what i call hezekiah thinking and
1: isaiah 39 um hezekiah uh, he invites a group of Babylonians and he shows them, like, basically his treasures. And then he gets this word saying, like, these all these treasures are going to be taken by the Babylonians. Mm-hmm. And Hezekiah's response to Isaiah is, ah, oh, the message that you've given is, its is from the Lord is good because he's thinking, oh, at least there'll be peace and security in my lifetime. It's yeah. so, like, oh well, I won't be here to see that happen. Yeah, totally. But I think that we can fall into that Hezekiah thinking of, like, oh, well, oh, well my I'm going to be fine. It's their problem. Yeah, totally. And so... Yeah, who was the author you quoted from that theologian?
0: Oh, yeah, um, Francis Loyan. Yeah, I just just love so powerful. Blessed
1: are those that plant trees that they will never sit under the shades of. Yeah, look. That's so cool. um, Such a deep. So it's good to actually look at like old, like older church kind of. Because yeah. they just have insights. I was like, that's just a brilliant insight. Yeah. And that's so scriptural too, like this yeah. idea of investing for the future.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think that ultimately it is interesting that both of us in our own ways kind of brought it back to this image of a, a tree mm. as a symbol of hope. The other one when you were preaching, I couldn't help but think of the another symbol of hope that's similar but different mm. of the sun. The idea that you know we have this just absolute like rock solid faith, that the sun's going to rise again each day, and as surely as it sets and rises Mm. again is the certainty that God's goodness is going to rise again. Mm. You know, it may not you know always be in the um, exact cyclical way that the sun does, but um, and then even just in that, I kind of love the kind of play on words of the risen sun. You know, our hope in a risen Mm. sun, (laughs) S O N is yeah kind of those ideas and those images of just as we walk about our our lives having those reminders and images and symbols of hope that we latch on to as a reminder because i think that obviously memory verses are really powerful mm. um and having you know the abundant images that the bible already provides as symbols mm. of hope but i think being able to make those connections for ourselves and listening to the sort of whisperings of the spirit in, hey, like, what is God saying to me for this? And what are my symbols Mm -hmm. of hope? What are my family promises and all those things? Um, We're kind of speaking off air, but um, in all of these symbols of hope, there could maybe be the trap yeah. of having unhelpful symbols mm. of hope I think you know it is probably pretty obvious when we talk about good symbols of hope these ideas that people are like oh that's a helpful symbol that's a helpful symbol but maybe subconsciously even we can create or latch onto unhelpful symbols mm. of hope did you want to talk about
1: yeah um, so I, I'd i say un- unhelpful symbols of hope it's so we sort of borderline go into more idolatry mm. like things that Kind of think could be good or from God, but and I suppose that's like an odd odd or it can be anything, it can be sure. bad and, and good, but yeah, those unhelpful symbols would be, yeah, over reliance. I guess uh, we were talking about a little bit yesterday about the city, like this prosperity mm. and mm. just relying upon, uh, yeah, this is always a tension though. You want good government, you mm. want a stable, yeah, political system, but yeah, that can become an idol or even as someone who values health and exercise that can become an idol Mm. this yeah I know I recognise that doesn't matter how fit I am in my 30s and 40s I'm still going to age and yeah like I see people that still in their 80s exercising not doing what they did in their 20s they're still fit for 80 but yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah. the sense of that that yeah even this sort of symbol of having physical health that will deteriorate one day Mm. and yeah, I was actually—it's actually funny you mentioned this because I was reflecting on the Book of Ecclesiastes today and just mm. how quick life is. Like, I just know, like, it's basically September. And I think, how is it September? Like, this year has just disappeared, mm. and life kind of just gets into like Groundhog Day.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
1: just feel like, oh, man, all I do is like get up, feed the kids, dress them, take them to preschool wherever they go, go to work, come home, mm-hmm. dinner, bath, <laughs> and it's just like this everything just blurs into one and suddenly yeah it just reminds me like just seeing like how much Asher and Hazel have developed I'm like wow these kids are growing like mm. time is slipping away and you mm. don't want to waste that mm. and so yeah for me it like thinking back I'm so glad we have eternal life not mm. just yeah. this life yeah because if this is all we're banking on it's really yeah. quite miserable um, yeah I remember a few years ago reading I'm a big Star Wars nerd mm-hmm. I reread this um. Yeah. Just sees books, I and mean, then one of the characters' his names Boba Fett. He's a bad guy, and all he wants is money. That's mm. his like ambition in the galaxy mm. is just to make lots of money. And I think like I read that book series four years ago. Like, and that book series is written thirty years ago. Like, what and just like all these things that you know what seems so important at the time mm. just slips away mm. so quickly. Mm. Doesn't matter how wealthy you we are. Doesn't matter how powerful you are. Doesn't mm. matter how yeah be a reputation you build one day you will be mm. forgotten and that's what the book of ecclesiastes reminds us of too yeah. is just this there's a cycle to life and there's a fragility that mm. slips away mm. and so yeah for us like kind of push thinking back to jeremiah and his letter to those exiles there's yeah and you said it on sunday too for those if they if they were our age like in their 30s like a hundred when like that's their lifetime and that can seem very miserable and like for an ezekiel or a daniel yeah someone who's just living there that's like oh this is my life like daniel just spent his days praying three times looking to jerusalem Mm. hoping that they would return home Mm. and so yeah fast as christians like looking to the real symbols of hope and, and going to that language you were talking about yesterday about exiles Mm -hmm. is that in some ways we are exiles looking for the kingdom of Mm. heaven and yeah sure we can have our ancestral land and our home here in Sydney or wherever it may be but yeah ultimately not being too rooted in this place but being rooted in the kingdom as Mm. Jesus said Mm. where your treasure is there your heart is also so that gives you I think a strength to persevere in life is difficult um Yeah, because if like this lifetime is all that there is, and things are miserable for you, and you get the short end of the stick, and you are sick or have you know just a miserable quality of life, is this Mm -hmm. all there is? There's something deeply depressing about that. But knowing that, like, okay, it doesn't matter what happens in this lifetime. I could get cancer. I could get hit by a bus early. Like something terrible can happen. There's a hope Mm -hmm. in the future. There's a certainty that each day, as I get older. Not the end, Mm. it's just in some ways closer to the beginning, like when Jesus returns and we're resurrected and live the life that God intended from the beginning.
0: I think it's like that unraveling realization that, you know, you don't um, rely on God to have a good life. You rely on God so he can carry you through Mm -hmm. when life is hard, Yeah, you know, and that is a paradigm shift. I know for for me it has been, you know, Um, and I think for a lot of people. Now, does God promise to bless abundantly? Mm -hmm. Yes. And is that often um, shown by, you know, also material blessing on this mm-hmm. side of eternity? Yes. Um, but it is a sign of something greater. It's yeah. a symbol. Um, and I also kind of think just with symbols of hope, um, you're kind of talking about things which seem good, mm. but ultimately can be sort of a trap. Mm. And I also think uh, for Christians, so many um, can hold on to this hope or this symbol of a church reaching a certain amount of people, yeah, like we will finally reach heaven when that yeah. happens. Now, don't get me wrong. Like we were kind of rejoicing yesterday, how yeah. awesome it was to have like a big service yeah. on Sunday with lots of people. It's exciting and there's an yeah. energy and it's beautiful and it's, you know, encouraging. Um, and I think God works powerfully in those situations. Yeah. They're not bad things, but when our hope is rooted just solely in that, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's sort of setting you up for probably disappointment. Um, I even read this interesting thing yesterday about how even the way that our brains are hardwired, we don't get dopamine when we achieve our goal. We actually get dopamine on the way to the goal, mm. and once you achieve the goal, it's like dopamine over. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, like, yeah. not that we want to be, you know, addicts of chasing dopamine, no. but it's just an interesting truth, even hardwired into the sort of chemicals of our brain, yeah. that it's not actually about the destination; it's about the journey. journey. So often,
1: yeah, um, yeah, which are which is why I call the Christian faith a journey, mm. because yeah, on the way, mm. like. Pilgrims. it's not like you've reached yeah it's not like a i don't know you know like you play some games and your character levels up then you get yeah. to like level 50 and that's as far as it goes it's yeah. not like that we yeah. just keep we keep going and you're always on the journey constantly growing and i think i was i can't remember if i shared this on the podcast but when i went on um retreat they had um because there was a jesuit monastery mm. and out in the garden they had a, um, a concentric circle kind of prayer, mm. and so. Like the shortest path is You just start Mm. and walk to the middle So it's
0: like It's a maze Yeah it's a maze essentially Yeah yeah.
1: And But what you're supposed to do Is you're supposed to walk along And The journey is long And you kind of get close to the tree And then It'll take you around And And So yeah like the a to b is very short you just walk start walk there to the tree you're there in like 10 seconds but if you walk around it takes a few minutes and the idea being is like it's meant to be like this journey mm. of faith and life is a bit like that it's the highs and lows mm. and yeah you might feel close to to god that's how i kind of what i was doing is like i feel like the tree represented like mm. the tree of life so god's presence and sometimes you feel close to god other times you don't and there is this journey, but eventually you get there. Yeah. And the maze ends you getting the tree, and so mm. that was the idea that each step you take, you meant to be praying and reflecting and mm. meditating. And mm. so it was just a, it's a great little exercise to do. Only took about five or ten minutes, but mm. I saw it as a great little parable for life. Mm. Is that, yeah? The the it's more the journey than the destination. And I don't, I know. Actually, it's interesting you mention that because that was one of the things when I did my exercise science degree was in. Like sports psychology is that for a lot of players when they've actually hit the grand final or the race they actually fall into, can fall into depression because it's like oh what do I do now yeah I've hit my goals yeah. and so this constant sort of chasing where yeah mm. it's almost in some ways better not to hit your goals because you're constantly <laughs> striving. <laughs> <Like,
0: laughs> always got something to chase yeah, after yeah
1: yeah so for us as Christians like using that like Paul used the athletic analogy mm-hmm. and so for us like we're in a sense, running the race towards heaven mm. and that Hebrew's language of the great, crowd, great cloud of witnesses. Mm. Yeah, we're running through the stadium. Yeah. So when we get there, we're there getting
0: cheered on. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I think that in all of this, um, I, I guess a big question for me is, um, I, don't, I don't want this to come out the wrong way, but I feel like the reality is, we live in a time <laughs> where encouraging young people, <laughs> mm. <laughs> we need to just be careful <laughs> and yeah, need yeah, to be yeah, a little yeah. bit above board, right? Yeah, just yeah. I'm thinking like safe spaces. Yeah. I'm thinking about, um, okay, cool. I um, Say I really want to you know, invest in your son, Asher, yeah. and really want to encourage him. Um, what would be some practical ways that you're thinking and you know it might not just be an Asher it might be someone who's mm-hmm. older or whatever but what are good ways what are what are ideas in which we can practically invest in that next generation mm. encouraging them, building them up yeah. in their faith, um, giving them those symbols of hope in a way that yeah is actually hap- uh, uh, actually yeah practical and yeah, aligned with what we yeah. as a church community who want to also create safe spaces. Mm. I'm probably not going to take Asher out camping for the weekend, just him <laughs> and <even> me. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, I, one of the things that I noticed, and I think I've shared this before, when I did the Max Potential Community Coaching mm. Course, well, how many of the coaches were elderly people mm. and how well the elderly and the young adults gelled. Yeah. Like at first you could tell it was a bit awkward, but yeah. then, yeah, I think it doesn't matter the generation. People... Particularly young people looking for someone to uh, connect with, mm. and someone to listen to, mm. and share their problems, and just walk alongside. And so, like the like the model of Jesus as a master with someone discipling, I see that as a powerful way for young people. Mm. Um, yeah, and obviously each kid's sort of different and how they respond to. But yeah, I see like the core of that hasn't changed. Actually, just being present. Mm. Um, yeah, there's, w- when I was at Regent's Park, every year the school counsellor would do a talk for the kindergarten parents, and I would always go. And I remember she said in one of her talks that we blame, we think that the young people are the ones who are addicted to technology. She goes, actually, my my clients, like the students at the school are saying it's actually the opposite. They go, my parents are so disengaged from us because wow. they're always on their phone. And she's like, this isn't just like a teenage problem. This is a society-wide yeah. problem. yeah. Yeah, and like that, like people are still looking for a genuine connection. Mm. And so, yeah, that's one way to say it. Like, yeah. very, very broad frustration, but that's basically yeah. like being a mentor, being a coach, being someone yeah. that can be present and how that looks. Yeah. We're different for each kid. We might just be sh- shooting hoops. Yeah. Or just, yeah, hanging out doing a Bible study or yeah. even just playing a video game together. Like, yeah. whatever that is, yeah, just totally. being present and giving people. yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah,
0: I think that's great, and I think that says a lot about sort of the value of a consistency um, around a church community as Mm -hmm. well, because the reality is, as you said, you know, that presence um, is, uh, I think, a lot of the time... um, we can be really guilty of elevating quality over quantity. Mm. Um, And there's a lot of studies that are showing for the development of young children. um, This is like for parents, but I think it can apply for all people investing in young kids, uh, that quantity... Is actually more important than quality mm. now that obviously has a asterisk to it as you said that doesn't mean that you're just sitting there in yeah, their presence yeah. scrolling through instagram yep. but this idea that you know it's not actually about the big youth retreat that we go on once a yep. year it, that's great yep. and that can be really impactful and that's important but actually just being in their space mm. and in their presence weekly and investing in them and asking questions and getting to know them and speaking life into them that's actually more beneficial Mm. and I think that we even as Christians can be really guilty of elevating the event Mm. and elevating the retreat and elevating the mission trip all of those things are great and have a really important place but just the consistency Mm. of gathering together weekly being in one another's presence building trust, building relationship Mm -hmm. and investing I think that there's so much value for that that Mm. we can really undersell Mm. Um,
1: yeah. yeah that's good man yeah I I say a lot of ministry is just having oftentimes what seems like very fruitless conversations yeah but that's part of just being there just chatting with people building your trust yeah and that's yeah super important
0: yeah I'm sure that Jesus was having some conversations with his disciples that weren't unpacking Torah every yeah, single yeah. minute or, yeah. you know, <laughs> unraveling the mysteries of the universe. Mm. They're just talking about the best yeah. way to catch fish or <laughs> the yeah. best way to make a dove joint on two pieces yeah. of wood. <laughs> well, we are finishing up our Jeremiah we series are, this Sunday. Yeah. The the final sort of, uh, yeah, yeah, service for our Jeremiah series. Mitch, what are you well, are we're, sharing we're,
1: on? We're going to look at the new covenant, So finish yeah. on a high. So the, the last... Kind of couple of sermons have been in that kind of middle chapters twenty nine to thirty three. They call it the book of um, consolation, mm. so China Jeremiah's <laughs> hope and the new covenant's only mentioned once mm. like, directly in in scripture, and it's here in Jeremiah. And yeah. so that's pr- it's foundational passage for our mm. faith. Like mm. Jesus identifies his body and blood as establishing the new covenant that mm. Jeremiah is talking mm. about. in The book of Hebrews, yeah, quotes jeremiah to make his point that jesus is better than yeah. everything and yeah. so yeah just finishing on that just that reminder that wasn't the old covenant that was broken We christians sort of can yeah. think that god had stuffed up sort yeah. of ah oh, this was like my first try and it yeah. failed but actually it wasn't a problem with the first covenant the problem was the people and so god establishing a new covenant was kind of always there from the beginning mm. um, yeah, so it'll be fun. Yeah. A nice passage to so look at. So there'll be a lot of New Testament, actually. So we will be a bit of Jeremiah, but looking a lot around Jesus and what he's done for us Love as it. New Covenant people. The fact is, every time we turn to the New Testament, we're turning to a New Covenant. Come on. New Testament's just the Latin word for covenant. The, so. new, the new promise.
0: <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, that should be great. Looking forward mm. to it. And we we'll look forward to seeing you all on Sunday. Yeah, see you then. Bye. Bye.